This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Montreal Seiko Technologies doesn't have anywhere near the mind share of the largest LED display manufacturers in Pro-AV, but it's nonetheless the supplier behind some of the biggest and most interesting display jobs lighting up these days. That's Seiko's LED light sticks cladding the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, and turning it into a colossal media display that can do everything from mood lighting and still images to motion ads for movies, like a spot for Batman. While the other major players in direct view LED displays work with Pro AV consultants and integrators and media owners, Seiko engages with architects and building engineers to fully integrate active, addressable LED lighting into the facades of buildings, and in some cases, the overall structure of the building. For example, the home grounds of the new MLS team in Cincinnati designed active, changeable lighting into the entire stadium exterior, as opposed to just bolting a big conventional LED onto the side. That's an active LED on the top of SoFi Stadium in LED, where the Super Bowl was just held, done by Seiko as well. The backstory of Seiko is super interesting and really different. The company's roots are in supplying the blinking LED indicator lights you'd see in old school control rooms, like the walls in power plants. Back in the mid 90s, one of Seiko's founders wondered if the colored LEDs could be put together and controlled to create a video display. A small reference design proved the concept and within a couple years, Seiko was providing a massive version as a digital backdrop for U2's Popmart tour. That led to more concert tours by more bands, and by the mid-2000s, the company was also a major player for large-format stadium and arena displays. These days, much of Seiko's work is custom and specialized, and not the kind of work suited to the more mainstream, high-volume LED guys out there. I had a really interesting chat about Seiko with co-CEO Jonathan LeBay. Jonathan, thank you for joining me. Uh, Can you describe what Seiko's company does and how long you've been at it how long the company's been at it yeah hi thanks um yes absolutely uh seiko's been around uh, actually the company was founded in 1987 by the uh, jalbu brothers uh, fred and Bassam jalbu and originally started off as a company that uh, specialized in nuclear control room equipment whoa uh, so seiko actually stands for systems automation control a very far cry from what we're doing today mm-hmm. um, but essentially uh, if you've ever watched uh like a Steven Seagal movie and you see these big control room panels and these oil rigs and all that kind of stuff. That's the type of stuff that Seiko uh, used to do. Okay. <clears throat> and in those panels are a lot of little tiny blinking indicator lights and some other control equipment that, uh, that Seiko used to manufacture. And eventually they started experimenting with LED technology. And one of the brothers, Bassam, came up with the idea of creating a display using these, uh, these solid state lights. Um, at the time, was only red and green, and uh, eventually was working with a company called Nichia, which is one of the yeah. premier LED manufacturers uh, still to this day. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, when they invented the blue LED, they provided that to uh, to the team back in Montreal. And uh, essentially, we created the very first LED video display. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so it, the idea when we first did it was a small little sample. It was like maybe like a one foot by two foot sample. It was it was quite small, but it was able to demonstrate the capabilities of uh, putting up an image and eventually a moving image. And uh, this caught the eye of uh, certain advertising companies, um, and uh, more importantly, uh, at the time, a uh, rock band. And uh, we got a challenge from uh, the band U2 to create this uh, 50 foot by 150 foot wide video stage, I guess, mm-hmm. a backdrop to replace the uh, Sony um, uh, Jumbotron, actually, that they were planning on putting on Popmart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took up the challenge and designed and built this thing and deployed it. Uh, deployed it with success on the Popmart tour, started in Las Vegas, and then we toured with U2, essentially showing off this uh, these new capabilities. This was in 1997. Wow. Yeah. So that, that first reference design that you, you talked about, when, was that 97 or a little bit before then, obviously? The reference design was in 93. Uh, that's when the blue LED was, uh, okay. was invented. Uh, we had at that time already created a red-green uh, uh, display that, uh, again, as a prototype, um, but then uh, eventually we did build a red, green, and blue version, so an RGB version, a full color version, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think we met the band, and uh, I think it was like maybe like in the end of 1994. <laughs> That's quite a transition from doing control uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> rooms to uh, working with Bono. <laughs> well, it completely it completely changed the company. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, we called the technology smart vision. Uh, we did uh, that tour with success and then picked up a bunch of other bands and then eventually started doing permanent installations uh, like the Baltimore Ravens Stadium and uh, the NCI Washington uh, Arena and so on and so on. And then and then that kind of, if we fast forward a little bit, we end up in 1999 and we built the very first NASDAQ screen in Times Square. Okay, so the the sort of curved one with, with the, the knockouts for all the windows? Yep. That's you guys. That's us, and that and that's actually a really interesting story. The uh, that was supposed to be like a already making a curve was going to be a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. No one had ever seen a curved video screen of that of that magnitude. And then we had gotten the project. It was a it was a full display at the time. Mm-hmm. And then the client Nasdaq came to us and told us that the main tenant in the building was not was no longer accepting to have their windows covered. So we created these knockouts, and everybody was worried about how this would be, how this, how, how this was looked, but uh, or how it would look, I guess uh, it would look odd with these holes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with a little bit of convincing, uh, you know, everybody kind of went with it. And the very first piece of content that we put on there for testing was Pac-Man. Ah, <laughs> yeah, which, which makes sense because it would work around the holes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. The so you started out kind of sort of doing, uh, well, I, I guess like almost like mesh LED curtains. And then you went with, with the NASDAQ's display. It was sort of quasi-conventional LED mm-hmm. cabinets, although albeit a little bit curved and all that. Uh, and, and in the past, let's say five to seven years, really, all these other LED companies have come on the market with their own cabinets and all that. And you, you guys have 
you haven't really sort of stayed in the conventional uh, LED cabinet business. You've gone in other directions, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we uh, we still have uh, some. Uh, I'm doing air quotes here, but standard uh, standard type products. Um, mm-hmm. Although <clears throat> although they're really more there to support some of the iconic projects that we're doing and some more, some of the more complex projects that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we have a client that wants to do the kind of this nighttime identity uh, thing on their building, you know, that highlights the architecture and so on, like some of the projects like Burge or FC Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, they may require some video screens down at the bottom on the marquee or inside and stuff like that. And uh, so we do have offerings to be able to support them with it. So is a lot of what you do custom then? Yeah, I would say that most of what we're doing today is is highly customized. Uh, not not full custom, but highly customized. And there's a difference there uh, in the sense that our, our product is really the technology itself. And then how we package it um, is the customized portion of it for the client. Right. And a lot of the reason that you get attention, I gather at least, is that unlike the vast majority of the companies who are selling quote-unquote conventional LED products, they're working with AV integrators, whereas you guys, by the looks of it at least, tend to work with architects. Yeah, that's a that's a very good observation. So our... Our main uh, drive is really with architects. We have seven architects on staff here at Seiko. Ah, okay. Um, we have um, uh, mechanical engineers, of course, electronics engineers, but also structural engineers. So when we when we go into a project, and usually the earlier the better, um, because we're able to detail down to the level of the building, mm-hmm. and and at the same time we're able to influence how things get integrated because we know how we can make things. We're able to work with the architects to integrate to integrate the product uh, in the building facade or, or wherever it's supposed to go, um, where it looks integrated and not bolted on. And, right. it, and, and that subtle difference makes all the difference in the world. It, it also makes a difference in terms of the engineering, right? Because even though the individual light rods probably aren't all that heavy, if you have thousands of them, it, it adds weight to a building, right? Well, it does. It does. And, you know, uh, you know, so if we were to come on, say, after a building's already up, um, we would normally be adding not just the product, but we would be adding the, like the bracketing and the extrusions right. and, and, and whatever else that we're doing. If we're there early enough in the early stages, um, maybe the extrusion for the window mullion will be designed differently to accommodate the product. So you, so there's, a, there's, there's some savings in terms of weight and potential cost, but also uh, the, the final look is, is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back in the, in the past decade, decade or so, you started to see buildings, uh, signature buildings in a landscape that uh, would be lit at night for different purposes. They might have a certain kind of baseline set of colors that they use, but if like right now there would be buildings that are in blue and yellow because of the situation in Ukraine. Uh, yes. Has that... Is, that seemed to be the way things were being done for quite some time now. But uh, if I, and we'll get into this with the, the Burj in Dubai, that's more than just uh, sort of ambient lighting. It's, it's, it's a media facade. What was there a moment when, it, when it changed and you're able to do that, or has that always been possible and it just hadn't been done? 
uh, we, we've always been able uh, uh, to do that. I think uh, um, I think that the, the like the market and the clients, uh, you know, as they evolve and they see things and they have ideas, um, and then we start exploring ideas with the clients. Then I think that that's truly when when uh, when things get revealed, right? So we we may have the capability to do something, uh, but then you also need to get the client that has a vision that allows that to happen. Okay, so. With the the Burj, world's tallest building, at least I think it still is, right? There's I no, believe so, yes. something going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, w- with that one, you, you've got your product on at least one side of the building. Is, is it just on the one side, kind of facing the, uh, the is, Dubai yes. Mall and all that? Yes. And that, that goes from top to bottom. Was it built built in or was it added after the fact? Right, so this was added after the fact, um, okay. and uh, and actually, what happened there is that the client uh, had tried something; they had acquired some product from uh, I don't know exactly where, and had put it up. So they had had this idea of wanting to do this. I believe it was a DMX-based system. <clears throat> it did what it was supposed to do, but the problem is that I don't believe that it lasted as long as it needed to. So, like a year and a half in or something, you know, we we connected with them, and then we designed for them this uh, system that would fully integrate with the fin. And then we have these really beautiful stainless steel fins on the building. Um, that's what gives it like that shine during the day. Mm, okay. um, so we wanted to respect that, but it was also the perfect area to attach these things. So we designed this kind of like the fin, uh, like a nose piece for the fin that integrated the product, all the cabling and everything. And then we uh, we installed that at the end of 2017. Okay. So with that building, uh, as huge as it is, you can actually do a, a full motion ad like the the recent one for the new Batman movie from street level all the way to the top, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, everything that we do is basically, uh, it's either a full video screen or a deconstructed video screen. And in the case of Burj Khalifa, it is what we would refer to as a deconstructed uh, video screen. So it has a 25 millimeter pixel pitch on the, on the length, right? So on mm-hmm. the height, but then a meter and a half on the width. So it goes in between the windows. And obviously with distance and so on and so on, you get a, you're able to, your brain's able to put the image together. Right. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we in the past four or five years with LED marketing, it's all been about uh, fine pixel, pixel pitch and it's uh, 0.9 versus 1.2. And oh my God, mm-hmm. 1.2 is awful by comparison. <laughs> and and you're, you're talking about a meter and a half pix, pixel pitch. Yeah, well, you know, everything has to do with distance and contrast. You know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it, it, it can be broken down as that. It, it, it's it's uh, distance and contrast. So what's involved in uh, putting up something like that? I mean, God knows I wouldn't want to be the one of the technicians told to go up to the 110th floor and go outside and put this on. <laughs> Um, well, it's a, I mean, I mean, listen, it, it's a really interesting process and, uh, much like other projects that we've done, you know, it was the first time that we were doing something, uh, like this and like mm-hmm. this, I mean, at that height with no cranes and difficult access and, and, and so on. I mean, the building itself is almost a kilometer tall. Uh, everything is done with rope access people. And then the other complexity that comes into play is time. So between when we got the contract and we, turn the screen on it was seven months hmm. wow so that's not a lot of time to design a new product uh, we, we actually had to design a new product for this project do all of the engineering the testing validation certifications um, but so essentially what we did is we 
we had our uh, our factory in, in Montreal. Uh, we design manufacture everything in Montreal, by the way. Um, and then we replicated our factory or a portion of our factory in Dubai. Mm. And we did a, and we did a, a lot of final assembly and uh, you know uh, installation within the extrusion pieces and so on and, and the cabling. Everything we did it there in Dubai. Uh, the client was very uh, was very, was instrumental in kind of helping us set up uh, all of that capability there. Um, and then we just staged we just staged everything everywhere that we could in every empty space of the building. And then started deploying these uh, uh, this via rope access teams. And obviously, part of it is a hotel, part of it is our residences. So you are very limited in the amount of time that you can spend. So during the day, you can't be in front of the. Sorry, at night you can't be in front of the hotel portion. Mm-hmm. During the day, you can't be in front of the residences. Um, so we needed to plan <laughs> across the whole building how to get these things in place. And is it set up in such a way that if you're in one of these residences? Uh, you don't see the light emitting from these fins that it's just pointing out? Correct. So you have no idea. Uh, yeah, you, you have no idea if you're inside the residence uh, that there's actually lighting on the building. Which is a, a problem for some of the media facades I've seen that are just mesh LED because you're, you're, you're now looking through this grid system to see outside. Mm-hmm. You still got your view, but it's compromised. Yeah, exactly, and that that's actually one of the reasons why the why the the horizontal pixel pitch had to remain at one and a half meters was because we didn't want uh, nor the client didn't want to have anything in front of the windows. Hmm. Uh, these media facades on buildings seem to be a thing. You're, you're certainly in China, but I'm 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 starting to wonder when we'll start to see more of them in North America. Is are are you seeing the demand there to do this? Uh, yes, um, uh, absolutely. Although, although, uh, things have shifted, um, you know, I think that with the introduction of, uh, of Burge of FC Cincinnati also did say for SoFi stadium on the roof. Um, I think clients and architects are, are, are realizing that a media facade doesn't need to be just a rectangular or a square video screen, mm. uh, that takes up, uh, all, all the front real estate. They're starting to look at it more as a way to enhance the architecture that can also do media. Right. Right. And with the, and the, and, and with being able to prove that pixel pitch, um, you know, you don't have to have the same pixel pitch on the vertical and the horizontal. You can do different things and it just makes it more unique and interesting to the building while you're still communicating the message that you want to from the advertiser or from whatever you're trying to communicate. Is it your control system as well for the, like the software that's driving it? Right. So we, uh, so we do everything up to the video processor. So the okay. video processor, uh, what takes a signal in, um, and then we work with a variety of companies such as, uh, disguise or seven cents, uh, depending on, on the type of project that we're doing. Uh, but anything that has a very complex geometry, we usually work with disguise. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you're not going to get uh, a setting out of the box for, uh, <laughs> a kilometer <laughs> no. tall building. No, 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 exactly. So all the mapping, however, we, uh, uh uh, our team does produce all of the uh, 3D uh, coordinates uh, for the software to understand it. So, that, so, you, so you soon have to have a human sitting there kind of trying to figure out the math. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we already have the math, we've created a tool set that allows us to take that, all, those, uh, all that math and turn it into coordinates for the systems that we work with. Mm-hmm. So, so mapping a building is actually fairly simple. And if you were to change something or you had to adjust something in your final drawing sets, you can just re-upload uh, that file to the server and the server will, will change 
the pathways, I guess, for the video image. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're working with a, a, a giant scale surface like that, uh, it, because the, the pixels are a meter and a half apart, at least in, in that job, D does that limit the amount of light that's coming out? Like a, a, one of the things I, I wonder about with uh, city bylaws and all that is uh, if, if you tried to do something like this on a building in New York or, or Montreal, uh, what what would be the citizen reaction? Would they say, we, we can't tolerate this, it's going to blind us, we're going to, our, our living room is always going to be bathed in uh, you know, it's just going to feel like a tanning salon in our house. <clears throat> yeah, actually, uh, very valid. We we went through that exercise with uh, uh, just recent, just recently with a client, mm -hmm. and that really becomes more about um, kind of uh, response. You know, kind of being responsible, a responsible corporate citizen, I I should say. And you know, that onus falls onto the client, but also on us to provide the tool set to the client for that. So. Um, but again, you know, if you remember what I was talking about contrast earlier, if something's too bright anyways, I'm, I'm sure you've driven down the highway and seen a, uh, one of the, uh, digital signs, uh, where the brightness wasn't turned down at night and it, and it yeah. kind of hurts your eyes. So I bet you don't remember the ad that was on that, on that screen mm -hmm. <laughs> because your brain was too busy hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, so in any case, to be able to show off the, the very best uh, of that building and of what you're trying to show, you have to have the right level of contrast. So if it's very bright outside, obviously, uh, you know, and it could be just light pollution, then you'd want to kind of pump up the power. But if it's, you know, if you don't have a lot of competing light, you want, you would want to kind of jump, uh, drop the power down and then the brightness. Um, so we have, so we can do it, uh, do it a few ways. Obviously we, we can set levels uh, based on time of day and with light sensors and so on, uh, which we do for several clients. Or there's just kind of just a bypass where the client can select it. Or at night, it's just that level. Right. With the, the Burj is a special case, but if there were other tall buildings in major cities that wanted to do this sort of thing, would they be looking to do it as a media model or do they see it as a way to distinguish their building with ambient lighting that's interesting to look at? Yeah, uh, that really depends on the of the client. Um, okay. I think that, I think that some clients go in with the idea of wanting to create a, a media building. So if you look at the hard rock hotel, for example, like the guitar hotel in Hollywood, Florida, mm -hmm. um, you know, their intent was, uh, was clear, uh, of what they wanted to do. It is a, it is a, a media, uh, based building. Um, you know, and that was the focus from the very beginning. Some of our other clients, um, I'm thinking of uh, one of the embassies that we did in New York, for example, originally started off as a way to highlight the building. So it was more kind of like a highlight on the edge of the building. Mm -hmm. um, but when they saw us testing, um, they realized, wow, I think there's more capability here. And I think that each client goes through a level of evolution on how to utilize the product. And, and I guess there's a, a delicate balance that they have to reach as well. That uh, you know, they, like you were saying earlier, you can be good corporate citizens uh, mm -hmm. and do something visually interesting with your building, but then you can cross the line and you know start selling mortgage broker services. Well, you could do that, or you could strobe, and you, and, and you know, there's a lot of things that you could do that that you wouldn't necessarily want to do. And mm -hmm. some of the clients, you know, obviously you have some very sophisticated clients that have a media strategy uh, for that, and they have a team. But some of the other clients just want to do something beautiful. And when that happens, I mean, we have uh, we have a, a division inside of Seiko called the Media Collective. Right. 
uh, with a creative director and, and, and so on. And we usually put together a base package for them, uh, you know, just to be able to kind of uh, understand how to utilize their building. Is the Media Collective in-house designers or is it a collective of people who have the skill sets and experience to work with your technology? Right. So we have uh, uh, we have some animators uh, inside, um, mm-hmm. but the but the whole reason of uh, the reason of of uh, media collective is really to build a collective of external firms um, that we work with uh, because we actually get a lot of work through uh, design firms. Um, so we don't want to end up competing with them. So if we do end up having a project that requires some content, Burge was a perfect example. In the beginning, we built a bunch of content for them. Um, so we kind of directed the whole thing, but we had, I think, with six firms that worked with us, uh, you know, to provide different flavors. Hi, I'm Jeremy Gavin, CEO of ScreenFeed. Now, I'm not put off by the fact that you're not listening to this podcast to hear me. Just like audiences to any digital signage, you give your attention to content you find interesting or helpful. That's where my company ScreenFeed comes in. Our sole mission is to make your digital signage network more valuable by making content that is more valuable to your audience. If you'd like to drive more attention to your screens, visit ScreenFeed.com to explore the 75-plus content options we've created to do just that. And then give us a call. Now, back to the podcast. So uh, when you have a, uh, a specialized project, somebody like a, another Montreal company, Moment Factory, might come to you guys and say, hey, we need to do something in this monumental service. Can you help us? Yeah, correct. Actually, Moment Factory has several projects where we've uh, collaborated uh, together. One of them being the AT and T uh, uh, project in Texas, where we we have our product inside of the kind of this egg-looking thing. Right. Yeah, that kind of a spherical walkway thing yeah. that kind of leads you yeah. to the building. Yep. That's a that's a very cool project. That overall thing. Oh, it is beautiful. So, when you are working with these different companies. Uh, are you going? Are they coming to you directly, or does it tend to come through an architect? Uh, no, when we're working with these uh, w- with design firms, uh, uh, we'll usually we'll usually uh, they'll usually either contact us or again vice versa. If we have a media request, we'll contact them. Mm-hmm. There are any number I would imagine of companies out there that have LED light sticks that can do kind of mood lighting for a building. Do you compete with them or, or, or are their control systems really meant to like change this to this block to blue and change this block to yellow so we can have the Ukraine flag? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in, I would say that in certain times we'll, we'll see them on, on, on projects, but those companies are usually DMX based, whereas we're video based. And there's a really big difference there in, in the, in, in the overall approach and also in the ability to display uh, color mm-hmm. and bit rate and stuff like that. So just coming from a video background, the type of clients that, that usually uh, seek us out or, or that we seek out, um, have a vision for media, not just, not just for lighting. Right. Do they also come to you because of scale that you've done these ginormous projects? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, you, you have to be, uh, uh, you also have to be game, right, mm-hmm. to do this. Uh, you know, these, these challenges are, are filled with unknowns. And I think that, I think that the team at Seiko are, like, they thrive on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there are all kinds of companies who, if they were approached to do uh, some of these large-scale projects they go sure and then they'd go back to the engineering team and look mm-hmm. at each other and go okay now what yeah well i mean we've had uh, we've had a few instances where 
call them competitors uh, in, in, in certain spaces mm-hmm. and got a, got a project and had no idea how to do it and actually came to us. Right. And we worked well, with them. I mean, it's a, it's a small industry, so we're not, I mean, we're friendly with everybody. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, the, the idea of shape and you're, you're working or you did work with uh, FC Cincinnati on its new MLS stadium, right? Yeah. Yes. And could you describe that? Um, the working part or the project part? Well, it's, it, well, the stadium is kind of a curved kind of bowl thing and the whole outside of it. It's a bit like the uh, uh, Bayern Munich stadium in that you could illuminate the whole thing. Yes, exactly. So the uh, um, here, uh, the, the architect is a populous uh, company with who we worked with uh, in the past. And we've mm-hmm. got a very good, relation, very good working relationship there. So... When they when they took over that project, which I believe was, was with a different architect prior, um, you know, and they came up with kind of this vision of these angled, angled fins, uh, you know, where you could see through this, where you could see through the building and so on. Mm-hmm. So they created like this very light structure, um, which at night, uh, you know, needed to be highlighted. So when we, when they brought us on board to to start taking a look at the designs and giving our ideas and stuff like that. You know, uh, obviously, it made a lot of sense to kind of highlight the edge of that fin. The product is very much recessed inside of the fin, so it's completely invisible during the day or when it's not on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the main, well, I mean, I guess there were several ideas there, but I mean, I guess that one of the guiding principles there is that it needs to be uh, integrated and needed to, to to highlight the architecture at night and kind of keep that that sense of motion. Like that whole stadium has this static motion to it. Um, so based on that, we, you know, we ended up uh, designing a solution for it um, and uh, also created, created the, the base content for the client. And it's, it's been highly efficient for the client. Hmm. Is it actually less costly to, to do it the way you're describing as opposed to doing like a, a full LED mesh curtain and all that just because there's less hardware, fewer LED diodes and so on, or it, it does kind of balance out because this is custom engineering. Yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe it balances out. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, probably overall it's maybe a little, uh, maybe a little cheaper because you're, because you're integrating early, but, but that only happens if you're integrating early, if, if you're retrofitting it, it's usually, it usually balances Forget out. It. The, but the big thing that it does though, is that it does, it does, become unique to that property when you just mm-hmm. start adding video screens and again i'm a i'm a big fan of video screens that's what we do for a living um but video screens like 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 what we refer to as traditional video screens they have their place um but on a building it it it, it just ends up looking like uh like advertising if you just put it yeah. on the building right so if you really want to enhance a building and and kind of uh, blend art and media um, I think that's a highly effective way of getting your message across, because then there's no mistake in if someone you know takes their Instagram shot or whatever, there's no mistake in where that is or who the client is. Right, and uh, and you just I'm sure expend the the time with the clients for them to understand. Look, this is low resolution. This is in a lot of cases meant to be seen from a hundred yeah. meters away or further away, and you know if if you want to put. Uh, Pricing propositions on the screen—that's probably not going to work. But logos and things like that—that's going to—that—that'll work well. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And 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 again, and 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 as you approach the building, 
uh, or, or as you approach a property or, or as you're walking through a property, your experience is going to change. So that, so that video element will now become more of a kind of a lighting, interesting, uh, kind of ambient element, but then you'll have something else in the, in the causeway or whatever with maybe that, that has a tighter pixel pitch or something to kind of just continue that whole experience as you walk through the property. Mm-hmm. Do you strictly work with, uh, outdoor products or are you doing anything indoor? Oh no, we do lots of, we do lots of indoor stuff. Is that more conventional, like uh, LED modules, cabinets, that sort of thing, or? Um, y- yes, uh, yes, actually, in its construction, I would say yes. In its deployment, uh, oftentimes it's different. So uh, we we did the, the uh, with uh, this art piece, which is actually a media piece with Jenny Holzer, which sits inside of the Comcast headquarters in Philadelphia, and their uh, custom tiles, their six point thirty two millimeter pixel pitch, uh, to be exact. Uh, eight inches wide and they needed to fit in between these wood slats uh, on the ceiling and the entire ceiling has video strips going right through it right through the escalator everything oh so is uh, this tied in with the big uh, led wall that's already in the lobby there uh, the led wall is in the other building this is in there ah okay gotcha yeah Yeah. gotcha that's uh that the other building's fantastic what they've done there oh yes yeah, exactly. You know, so so we'll also deploy like we'll, we have a project right now going on. I can't really say what it is yet, but it has a bunch of really high res stuff and these these kind of monuments in a curved fashion. We're all interactive, so high res video screen uh, type stuff that we do a lot, and we do a lot of touring also, all tier one. So the Paul McCartneys of the world and you know, Lady Gaga's uh, utilize a lot of safe equipment on their tours. And these, again, would be uh, stuff that you can tear up and take down or, or put up and take down pretty quickly. They're lightweight and, and there's a, a pastor so you can see in behind and all that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, so, so what we do for touring is uh, actually our frames are called fast frames and they're, and they're very, very, uh, well, fast, I guess, to set up and to tear <laughs> and rugged. down. <laughs> and rugged and, you know, in touring speed, is extremely important um, because mm-hmm. time is money uh, there. You know, as you're loading in and loading out, and other trades are waiting on you. So, you know, so we came up with this system um, that that's very fast. So I'll give you an example. Um, when we came up with this new product called the uh, the S series, uh, one of our very first clients was Bruno Mars, um, and this is obviously through uh, some partners, some rental partners. And it was a 50 foot wide video screen by 20 feet tall, and that took. 13 minutes and 13 seconds to set up. So wow. from the carts to image on, huh. we actually made, we actually made t-shirts <laughs> that says 13, 13. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Cause somebody's going to ask, what does that mean? And then you, you know, you're, you're, you're immediately pitching. <laughs> well, exactly. And also, you know, touring does allow us, uh, uh, you, you have a customer base there that is always hungry for the latest and newest thing. So although we have, uh, more standard products there that can do kind of their main elements. We'll build a lot of custom stuff for touring as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So on the Taylor Swift tour, for example, we had a bunch of 12 millimeter and some nine millimeter, but then because the thing went up like a half pipe in certain areas, we designed these custom triangular tiles to kind of fill in the gap to provide kind of like that monolithic look mm-hmm. uh, and so on. So we have clients that are willing to try new things there. And then we take all of that knowledge and then we apply it to our more permanent projects afterwards. You're obviously pretty well known in the uh, live events community. Uh, 
I guess in architectural design, not really in the uh, digital signage or LED display community, or at least the conventional side of that. Does that matter, or are you quite happy with uh, just kind of stealthily building up your business? Right. So, um, uh, very good question. I would say that in the beginning, uh, like you know, more, more on like the 2000s stuff, where we we're doing a lot of arenas and stadiums, uh, like the traditional, you know, center mm-hmm. hungs or ribbon boards, and you know, we were heavily, uh, heavily involved there. Um, but when so many companies came out with offerings uh, that you know, there were some differentiators, of course, between what we offer and what other people offer, but the cost just kept getting driven down and down and down, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're you're now operating in a commodity-based business. Yeah, um, that's that's not where we necessarily like to be. We like, we're we're innovators at heart. Mm-hmm. You know, so we like to focus on areas where our talents can be fully exploited. And so, as soon as you introduce a little bit of complexity, and there's a lot of clients that want something complex, and complex could be something as simple as a curve, an angle, a shape, uh, an installation. We end up finding ourselves. Uh, almost alone. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I know there's a big project that you're not uh, able to talk about yet that I'm sure uh, maybe we'll get back together in a year or so when you're, you're allowed to uh, talk about and the things running. It's, uh, it, it's amazing. And uh, unfortunately, we can't talk about it at the moment. <laughs> no, but I'll be happy to speak with you when we can. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank you very much for spending some time with me. That was terrific. Oh, it's my pleasure. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.